0: Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Southside Church. My name is Jeff Williams. Thank you for hanging out with us today. As we walk through this series, we're calling it It's Not Personal. But you know what? It really is if someone ever says, hey, this isn't personal, you better believe what they're about to tell you is personal. It's just like saying respectfully. I wanna say this to you. That means you're about to disrespect me. But nevertheless, honestly, this is what I have to say. All kinds of different things that we preface the words that we say, you know. But today today is a journey through the Sermon on the Mount and it's it's a particular passage. It's Matthew chapter five and it's verses 17 through 48 is really what we're dealing with and walking through today. The passage is Matthew 5, and it's verses 27 through 32. And what we see here in this passage and in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus taking some of the OT laws, some of the, uh, not overtime laws as in my sports vernacular, but uh, Old Testament laws and interpreting them in the light of the new life that he came to give. Jesus is very new to this scene. He's 30 years old. He's stepping out publicly, communicating God's word as a a, a rabbi in this t- particular um, context. And so Jesus has a group of people that could have numbered well into the hundreds of people that day gathered on this hillside, and he is teaching them in his first publicly recorded sermon uh, this very thing. He's taking some of the Old Testament laws, and he's interpreting them in the light of the new life that he came to give. And so what Jesus is doing, he's contrasting his own authority as original author and ultimate interpreter of the law with the false authority of the Pharisees. What you see in this passage and what I think is so cool about this moment that Jesus is teaching is is all the context and all the background that leads up to this point. Because the Pharisees originally, I believe, started out with a, a desire to do something good what you see in this context is that the people of Israel had been in exile several hundred years before this brought back into Jerusalem to resettle the nation of Israel and the problem was they had forgotten their own native language and so somebody had to teach them their language and so much of their lifestyle was built around the word of God the Old Testament law that someone had to teach that to them and the only people that they could do it, they could read it, understand it, and interpret it were the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence, a lot of sway over people. And I think it's just a natural human tendency to where our nature is sinful to turn and twist things toward us. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the scribes did. They took God's law. They built laws outside of those laws. And they said, look, we, we, our, our word is really just as significant and equal as God's word. And so what they made was a religion that had become so much of a turnoff that people were like, you don't, you're not real. You're not who you say you are. You look one way, but you live another. And so what Jesus is doing in this sermon, he is contrasting his own authority because he's the original author and ultimate interpreter of the law. He's the one that wrote it and gave it He's existed as, for all time and he's contrasting that with the false authority of the Pharisees and the scribes of his day. Jesus was not passing along something second hand like the scribes and Pharisees were. He looked people in the eye and he said essentially this, you are hearing this from the source of life and truth. You are hearing it directly from the author of life. John wrote, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and took up dwelling and residence among us. The Jewish teachers had a customary phrase to introduce their teaching. The typical phrase of the prophet was this. The prophet would say, thus saith the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees would say this, there is a teaching based on another rabbi or a past rabbi or prophet that says this, and they would teach it in the same vein. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I say unto you, speaking as though he had direct Authority over what he was trying to say to them. And so that put him and his teaching on a higher level, and he spoke it like he had authority to say it because he did, and it moved people. It drew people to him, and they were gathering by the masses to hear him, to watch him, to see him, because it was real, authentic, it was pure, it was true, it was right, and he was explaining the law as it was originally intended to be interpreted and lived out, and the Pharisees and scribes There was no way they could do that because they're just like you and me. They're fallible humans that are sinful at their core. And Jesus was the only sinless one, the only pure one on the planet that's ever lived and the only one with the authority that could say it exactly the way it was intended to be said. This passage today, God speaks with his authority in relation to purity, marriage, and divorce. And I believe this is a key point that we need to understand and see. That sin begins in the heart. And that is exactly what Jesus came to address. So today... We're not talking about 50 shades of gray. We're talking about no shades of gray. Because when it comes to Jesus, his word, and specifically in relation to purity, marriage, and divorce, it's black and white. And, and, and movies may have been made popular in a secular, sinful society, 50 shades of gray or whatever it is. There is none of that when it comes to this passage. And so we don't have any shades of gray in relation to this. Three things today that I want you to see. Number one, we're going to deal with the life of purity. Jesus addresses a pure life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said. You have been taught this. You have been taught this, this way. And this is what I'm going to show you. He says, do not commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, Because there were different avenues and and streams of teaching that they would use. The prophets would say, say, thus saith the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees would say, there is a teaching that goes like this, and I'm going to stay in that same lane, vein, river, and I'm going to teach that way. Jesus said, I tell you this. I say this to you, and he's speaking with authority and with a a, a power behind it that was real and true. He said, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What the Pharisees and scribes taught was that all of these teachings, so much of the law, and, 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 and this is the way they viewed it. This is the way they interpreted it. This is the way everybody did it. It was such an external action. So adultery, divorce, all of these things, lust, anything like that, once it was acted out upon is when the sin occurred. They never thought about it being on the inside. And, and, and really starting from our heart. Sin is a heart issue, and that's what Jesus came to address. And so he takes it deeper. He takes every part of this book back to its original intent, which is great for you and me because we see the heart of God because God doesn't say this to us and leave us guilty. He doesn't say this to us and leave us here. But Jesus has to communicate truth so that we know the truth and then the truth can make us free. We live in a culture today that says do whatever feels good. Right and wrong's up to you. It doesn't matter. You live your truth. You be your truth. You say your truth. That way there's no consequences for however you want to come out, whatever you want to say, however you want to live, it's entirely up to you. You can't build a society, a culture, a civilization, a world, a on that type of principle. You just can't do it. It's not an anything goes society. That may sound good, it may look good, it may feel good, but it doesn't work. And so when you read things like this, we may read them and it be a turnoff and it may look like that it's there to hurt us. It's not there to hurt us. It's there to help us. Freedom is not found in the absence of rules. It's found in the presence of rules because there's safety, life, joy, liberty found inside of that. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her, they've already committed adultery in their heart. One of the things that Jesus is doing in this sermon is he's setting the standard. And it's the fact that everyone is a sinner. The scribes and Pharisees are sinners, and so are the fishermen, the tax collectors, the men, women, and children. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter where you're going, he said everybody is a sinner and guilty and have fallen short of the glory of God. What Jesus is doing here, some of the background that he's addressing What he's talking about in this is a heart issue. And he's not prohibiting sex within, within a marriage context. He's not doing that. And Jesus is not saying that you can't look at someone and be, I guess I would say the way I read it, look admirably at someone. And notice the fact that they are good-looking, pleasant-looking. I mean, I'm sure you're thinking that right now. I'm looking at this good-looking creature that God created. Yes, I understand. I see it every day. It's the burden that I bear. But nevertheless, he's not saying that that's wrong. He's not doing that. He's saying when the look becomes a linger. And the linger becomes a longing. And the desire begins to birth in your heart to take that look into something more. Jesus said, that's where lust begins. That's where lust is formed. And it leads to adultery in our heart because lust leads to fantasy. And that leads to sin. The background of the teaching that we see is the permissiveness and immorality of the culture in which they lived. It was was a Judeo-Greco-Roman culture, and we still have it today. There were no rights for women in that day and age. Sorry, ladies, a man in this culture was able, in their teaching and according to their ways, especially with the Romans, to do whatever he wanted to do. But you, as a lady, could not do that. And so the rights favored the men in every possible way. And so this is the culture that Jesus is speaking to, and he's dealing with it in a heart issue. And so we see that Jesus went straight to the heart. He went behind the outward sin to to the source of the matter. There would be no immorality or divorce without a lustful look. He said, I can fix the whole culture issue when you realize it's a heart issue. Because if we deal with the heart, because that's where sin begins is with the heart. That's where it's birthed. That's where it originates. He said, if we deal with the heart issue, then there will be no immorality. There will be no adultery. There will be no divorce because there is no lustful look. And so what Jesus deals with first is teaching a life of purity. Number two, he talks about a marriage of faithfulness. So we see a life of purity, and then we see a marriage of faithfulness. Look at what he says. He says, it was also said, we're skipping a couple of verses, It has also been said, or you have also been taught, that whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. He says, but I tell you, you've been taught this, but I tell you this, that everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, let's talk about a marriage of faithfulness. And let's see what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Okay, Because this is not all that Jesus said about marriage and divorce. He said a lot more, especially in Matthew 19. But there was great controversy over marriage and divorce among the Jewish people. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we have to go back into the law to see what they believed. This is verse number one. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her. And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. The word indecency had to, it came from, or it had two schools of thought in the Jewish culture. Two different rabbis, one conservative, one liberal, interpreted it this way, that one, the conservative view was that if sexual immorality, if adultery had been committed by the wife, then you were able to give her a certificate of divorce. The same goes for the husband. If he committed adultery, she was able to give him a certificate of divorce. That was the conservative view. The liberal view was taken this way, that you could divorce your spouse for any reason whatsoever. And outside of sexual immorality or adultery, that was for the woman, but for the man, I mean, it could be she put too much salt in the food, she didn't keep a clean house, he just didn't like her anymore. Whatever he felt like, he could do because that's what he wanted to do and he had the license to do it from God's word. Here's some things that I think are interesting about this passage and the questions in Matthew 19 that Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus. They focused on divorce, but Jesus focused on marriage. In Matthew 19, they come to Jesus and they ask him a series of questions about divorce. About marriage, but specifically with the topic of divorce. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did. They focused on divorce, where Jesus focused on marriage, I think we see the same thing today. We see the very same thing when we talk about divorce rates in Christian homes, or we talk about divorce rate in the church, or we talk about uh, how how to you know what what are we how we're going to divorce proof our marriage, things like that. I mean, I get it. We talk about divorce because we don't want to go there, or maybe we set up safeguards to keep us from going there. Jesus doesn't talk about it. He focuses on marriage, and that's what he deals with. When we see in Genesis. this one where God talks about one flesh. He talks about that in a way that a husband and wife are joined together at the hip in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Every possible way they are joined together. It's like going into a photo, taking a box of old photographs and maybe, maybe over time you find two photographs and they're kind of stuck together. Maybe something got on one and it stuck to the other. Or just over time, the heat and the moisture of of life has caused them to stick together. And when you pull those photographs apart, you take pieces of the photograph with you. That's a picture of divorce today. It's painful. It's devastating. And it takes pieces of you and the other person with them when you come apart. And so the Pharisees saw marriage or saw divorce as a command. Jesus saw it as a concession. And so they wanted to focus on divorce. Jesus said, let's focus on marriage. They saw divorce as a command from Moses and God, but Jesus said it was a concession, and it was a concession based on the sinful nature of the human heart. Again, sin begins in the heart, and Jesus deals with that issue here. He said, we got to go to the heart of the matter. And so what we see in this is a great question. Are your actions today making your marriage stronger or tearing it apart? Because we can go back to the root of our actions. We can go back to the heart issue. Because a divorce, an immorality issue, a, a, a difficulty in marriage issue, I can, I can, I can 10 times out of 10 take it back to the heart. And we can look at it in light of the individual in both settings and say this, man, we can work on you, you can work on you, and we can get better together. Let's focus on marriage, not divorce. Let's focus on purity and not adultery. Let's focus on the things that drive us closer to Jesus instead of pulling us further away. So today are your actions making your marriage stronger? Are you tearing it apart? And so, one, we see a life of purity. Then we see a marriage of faithfulness. And finally, we see a remedy for impurity. A remedy for impurity. This part gets everybody because we all can live here. Whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're remarried, you're wid- whatever it looks like, because the, the the Pharisees were very nonchalant and flippant about divorce, but Jesus was very serious. He said there's two reasons that you're able to divorce in Scripture or given: one by Jesus, one by Paul. One is because of sexual immorality, adultery. The other is because of abandonment, desertion. I would add a third, and that would be abuse. And so we could talk about those three things, okay? And so what, what the Pharisees did, they were very nonchalant about this and were so so lackadaisical and, and pretty much made a way for anybody to get divorced, any man, and not so much for a lady, but, but, but she had a way out as well, Okay, And Jesus said you were able to remarry on this occasion and this occasion only because of sexual immorality. Why were they able to be, to be remarried? Because in that case, they generally became a widow. Why? Because on the event of adultery or sexual immorality within a marriage, the, the penalty was for that party to be stoned to death. So the other party immediately became a widow, which allowed them through the law of God to be remarried. Okay, I'm just telling you what scripture says, telling you what the Bible says. So pastor, I got a divorce for this reason, that reason, irreconcilable differences, whatever it is, and I got remarried. So what, am I supposed to divorce this spouse and go back to the other one? No. So so am I not free to be remarried again? I would say this. You make the relationship that you have the best that it can be, the godliest it can be. Are your actions today making your marriage today stronger or are you tearing it apart? And if, it, and if it's not getting stronger, then how can someone help you make it better? How can Give me a remedy for impurity in my life. So we'll go back. Matthew chapter five, verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He said, if your right eye is the thing that is causing you to sin, gouge it out. He said, and then throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Likewise, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away because it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus' words were, were a picture of how deep his feelings were about moral purity and protecting the home. The eye generates the desire and the hand generates the deed. So what Jesus is saying in this example is don't look, and don't touch. Don't look, and don't touch. He's talking about correcting an extreme with an extreme. Jesus was not telling people to cripple themselves. He was telling people to learn to control themselves, and there is a huge difference there. Jesus said, cut it out or cut it off. Cut it out or cut it off, get rid of it from your life. In other words, delete the app, quit the job, end the relationship. Whatever the situation is, correct an extreme with an extreme. Delete the app, quit the job. In the relationship. If you find yourself in this situation, pornography, relationship, something brewing at work, whatever it is, it's an emotional connection. Emotional connections happen before physical connections, but if you're married, don't go there. If you, and, and, and even in this situation, dealing with it from the standpoint of just individual people, single people, living a life of purity. So Jesus teaches us through his word, repent, call it what it is. Make a contract, a covenant with your eyes that you won't even look lustfully at someone else. Take extreme measures to get rid of it from your life and find accountability. Make accountability a priority. Repent. Repent. Call it what it is. Let God deal with your heart. Make a contract, a covenant with your eyes. Take it to the extreme. Take extreme measures to get it out of your life and then surround yourself with accountability. That's why you need a church. That's why you need a church home. That's why you need a pastor. That's why you need a a person in your life that you can be honest with, you can connect with, you can be true with, and y'all can grow together in your relationship with Christ. Sinful desire is just as damaging as sinful action. Sinful desire is just as damaging as sinful action because they turn us away from righteous living, which turns us away from living for God. That's what it does. It turns us away from righteous living, which in turn turns us away from God. Today, whenever God says no, it is so that he might say yes. If God tells you no, it's always so that he can tell you yes. There is always a greater yes when it comes to the promises of God. (laughs) Titus chapter two says, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Everybody deserves a savior and he's made it possible for you to have that and God instructs us for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone and that grace that amazing grace instructs us to deny godlessness anything that is godless he says the grace of God teaches us to say no no to godlessness and worldly living and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. This is the way I see it. The grace of God instructs us, it's appeared to everyone, and it teaches us to say no to godlessness and worldly lusts so that we can say yes to sensible, righteous, and godly living in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, let God's no be your no so that his yes can be your yes. Let God's no be your no so that his yes can be your yes. Today, if I can encourage you to live a life of purity, a marriage of faithfulness, how to get rid of impurity from your life. That's what I want to do. Why? Because God loves you. He's got salvation and amazing grace for you. He may say no to some things that are present in your life or around your life, but it's always so that he can say yes to greater things for you, in you, and through you. He's just waiting on you to say yes. Today, give your life to Jesus. Put your faith in Him. If you have these issues in your life, repent. Seek counsel and wisdom. Find accountability. Cut it out of your life. And dive into the Word of God. And let Him go to work in your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, and may he bless you with peace in Jesus' name. Come and visit us at Southside Church. We'd love to see you soon.